Welcome to the Happy, Healthy, Strong podcast. Our goal is to equip you with the knowledge and tools you need to make lasting changes in your health. Society has trained us to think that Western medicine is the answer to long-term health, but this approach only treats symptoms and never addresses the root cause. Without a new approach, our community will experience unnecessary sickness and suffering. We teach the functional health model to educate and empower listeners on their journey to a happier, healthier, and stronger life. My name is Paige, and I'm a certified holistic health coach. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Alex Arguello, doctor of chiropractic and functional health practitioner. Join us as we unpack some of the most pressing health challenges facing our community today. Welcome back to the Happy Healthy Strong podcast. We are still in our pregnancy series, and today I wanted to talk a little bit more, just in conversation with some of you guys, our listeners, I've gotten a lot of questions about different medical interventions and so I kind of wanted to go through and ask Dr. Alex's opinion on these different interventions and just talk through why you might or might not want to do some of these things. Before we jump into it, um, just want to clarify that of course not all medical interventions are bad and they're sometimes necessary depending on your situation, but a lot of times they are unnecessary and they can kind of lead to things that you didn't plan for, didn't really want, and they, of course, don't come without side effects. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just along with that, um, I mean, neither of us are licensed to practice medicine, right? right? So we're not giving medical advice in any way with any of this stuff. This is just kind of based off of um, at least my answers to these questions will be based off of my personal experience, um, with my, my, I have six children. Yeah, so that's pretty good an, experience. We've done this a number of times. <laughs> uh, and then I've taken care of, you know, hundreds of kids in my practice. So I've had these conversations with plenty of people and, um, actually not so much in the past few years. So like when you brought this topic up, I was like, oh man, I haven't really looked at that stuff mm-hmm. in a really long time. So hopefully there's not a bunch of new stuff out there that right. I don't know about. Um, but I've, yeah, I've had these conversations a lot and I've seen, um, so I guess I would call it clinical experience in terms of w- kids who maybe had some of these interventions and, and their the results of their health and then kids who didn't and the results of their health and just being able to kind of compare, yeah. contrast, that type of stuff. So yeah, for sure. Not a, uh, you know, I, haven't, I haven't run any sort of formal research mm-hmm. project on any of that, <laughs> but um, just this observation. Sure, yeah. Maybe, so. And everyone's situation is different and especially when we talk about the like during labor interventions it gets it's honestly so hard I think that's why it's good to think through all these things ahead of time because in the moment you can have like be faced with these decisions that Mm -hmm. you have to make on the spot and yeah so it's just good to educate yourself right Um, There is something called the cascade of interventions. So this is basically the concept of where you maybe go into when you're in labor, go into the hospital, just planning on, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll let them give me an IV. I'll let them do the monitoring or whatever. But then because of that stuff, it kind of just leads to, okay, now it's easier to give you this, that, and the other extra thing that you didn't plan on. Mm -hmm. And then there might be, oh, now you have an epidural. So now your blood pressure is low. So now we got to inject you with more 
medicine or just all these different things where one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing that you didn't really plan all of any of it um, but it can just kind of derail the plan yeah so for me personally i'll just share briefly this is one of the reasons why i have chosen for both pregnancies to plan a home birth because you're not even you don't even have these things available to you at home it's you're not even in that environment at all and so by just default at home you have a much less chance of getting interventions that you don't necessarily want unless you need interventions then there's transferring to the hospital or whatever things that the midwife can do right right so you're saying (coughs) there's this once you make one intervention, then it's potentially going to lead to, and I would even say data research shows that it does lead to to more interventions once you've done one, mm-hmm. that maybe even stepping into the environment of being in a hospital, that's like your first intervention. Yeah. Right. So absolutely. that's potentially just going to, it's at least going to increase your chances of having other interventions because you're in the environment that has access to those things. Right. Yeah. And I think even for my personal resolve, like I, I know that I don't want pain medication, just some of the side effects and things and risks along with that. But if I were to start out in a hospital, I think it'd be a lot harder for me to say no right. when the pain of those contractions is hitting, Yeah, you know, but if I'm at home and it's not even an option on the table, then right. I just, it's a different mental space that you're in to get through yep. when you know, oh, well, I could just have them quick do this little Right. Thing in my back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree on all that. I mean, I think maybe, so you give a little bit about your kind of s- story. Um, mine probably won't be as short, but uh, <laughs> th- I think this will be helpful in helping people understand kind of my answers to, to all of these things. Yeah. Um, so we had Tatum, our oldest, who's 18 now, um, when we were... I think I was 21, uh, yeah, I guess 21 years old, and, and Emily was 20 or 21. So we, we just kind of said, okay, wh- what in the world do we do? Yeah. Um, followed our parents, told us what to do, and that was, of course, medical model, right? You, you go, right. you find a, uh, thankfully, Emily was kind of always naturally thinking kind mm-hmm. of into just health in general. So she was like, well, I want to have a natural birth. So we worked with a midwife at the hospital that we were going to have the child at, Um so with our first child, outside of Emily just knowing, okay, I want to try to do this naturally, we just followed whatever whatever they told us. Mm-hmm. And um, there was interventions. I mean, we wanted a water birth, wasn't working, got out of the water, you know, lying on the bed, you know, kind of the way that you don't want to necessarily try to birth a child. A lot of that stuff um, just led to other interventions, and I won't get into the specifics of those, but... Um, and then after after Tatum was born, kind of also followed, found a pediatrician right away. So, you know, first well baby visits, vaccinations, all those things. So then I, I started at Palmer. And uh, I think Tatum was two years old maybe when I started at Palmer. And I'm in my first class of first trimester. And it's a, it's a central nervous system class. So you're learning about every structure of the brain and how the body works neurologically and all those things. But then we, our second class was an embryology class and that teacher was a chiropractor. So she would teach our class and then she would leave the last 10 minutes for something about health. And she would share statistics or just new stuff that was happening with vaccinations. 
And that was the first time I was like, what? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. potentially something wrong with vaccinations. Yeah. Um, and this was just, you know, her kind of giving her opinion on these things and referencing articles, different things like that. So I was like, all right, well, we're about to have another child. So mm-hmm. Creighton was going to be born, um, I don't know, within six months of when this happened. So I said, I should probably look into this a little more, especially if I'm going to be part of a profession. At least this lady, who was one of the first chiropractors I had met, is talking about it. So I started to kind of look in, do my own research, read a lot of stuff. But I still look to people as kind of the authority, the highest authority, because I could, you know, anybody could write a book about anything. Yes. Uh, and you can find research that shows whatever. Support whatever, whatever, you want. whatever yeah. yeah. So there was a, one lady um, who was a, a family friend of my wife's family, and she was a, a nurse practitioner. Um, so I asked her, and she was helpful in some ways, but the primary message that I got was vaccines are good, you should vaccinate and do all of them type mm-hmm. thing. Um, so I was like, okay, I mean, you, you are an authority in my life at this particular time. So, um, I'm kind of, kind of look at the, everything else that people tell me, I look that through that lens. Okay. This lady who I trust mostly is telling me one thing. So let's measure that against what you're telling me. But I, I got to talk to enough of people who were kind of on the other side that they would say, Hey, here's what I think. Here's what you should read, which we're going to give some references at some point in this podcast. Um, but you need to make, it's your child, Mm -hmm. right? You need to make the decision of what you're going to do for your child. So even though they had an opinion and their opinion was backed by research and, you know, there was, it was an informed opinion. Everybody that I asked here, not a single one of them were like, never vaccinate, just a danger. You know, you're going to kill your kids, all that type of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And not that that was what was coming from the, the medical side, but it was still vaccinate. That's what's best, you know, do all of them type thing. Right. So that was one of the first steps for me of going towards the the direction that I eventually went with all of my kids, which is not vaccinating them, um, was because, okay, why is this person just telling me to do it? And these people are giving me why they did what they did or why they recommend what they recommend, but making sure they're letting me know you need to take responsibility for, for what you're doing. Yep. And so encouraging the, you to do your own research on the topic absolutely. versus just saying, no, this is what's best. Right, mm-hmm. right. So then we would go to our own pediatrician and say, hey, can you give, this is what we're thinking about vaccinations. Can you give us some information about vaccinations? And either they wouldn't have any information about vaccinations or they would just give me the CDC's recommendation on on vaccinations. Wow, okay. And I was like, okay, um, I have a bunch of things that I've read that are challenging the CDC's recommendation on vaccinations and they seem pretty valid. So can you give me something more than just (laughs) what the CDC is telling you what to do? And it just could never happen. Um, So that was kind of my first, I would say, introduction, or you could even say baptism into the whole holistic natural health um, kind of, I would even say there's been times in my life where I've been Mm -hmm. anti-medicine just because of when you are in that world of seeing something different and then you're being the stuff of the negative stuff about medicine is being highlighted, you know, how they handle the drug companies, um, how they're involved, Mm -hmm. um, just how they don't look at cause at all. And it's just, you know, kind of covering up symptoms, that type of stuff. You get pretty frustrated and angry with, with how things are, are done. And then you can just find stuff that's just like, Oh man, look how they handle cancer. Look how they handle depression. Look how they handle cholesterol. Look how they handle heart disease, all of this stuff. And then vaccinations was, it was a huge one because I was having kids, young kids at the time. So I was really, really into that. So I, and again, I'm, this is a long story to get to why I look at the way, why I look at things the way that I do. Yeah. I'm pretty extreme in how I look at things. And I think 
it would be good to just be honest about that. Sure. My, since my son Tatum, up until two years old, he was fully vaccinated. He was on antibiotics a couple times. You know, he had ear infections. He, um, we would give him Tylenol, those type of things. But since that time, so he's 18 years old now, so 16 years, my kids have never had another medication. Not any of the other five have ever had another medication. None of them have ever been to a doctor other than like when they've maybe um, we thought fractured a wrist. So I'll, I'll call a friend of mine that's a doctor and he mm-hmm. went and got put a cast on him, those yeah. type of things. Um, they have never been vaccinated and uh, haven't had any sort of medical medical interventions. Wow. My wife hasn't had any medical inver- interventions um, with any of her labors or deliveries. Um, we've had four home births. We did I would say one and a half of them on our own without mm-hmm. even a midwife there. Um, on so purpose? Or? One of them was <laughs> on my s- <laughs> I wanted to have an unassisted birth. Emily wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Um, but there was a snowstorm when Keller was born wow. and midwife didn't get there. So it was just me and her. With yeah. And we She's had January 20th, right? Yeah. 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 And then with um, Quinn, um, midwife didn't get so Sarah, your mm-hmm. midwife, didn't get there, but her assistant um, one of our friends, Rebecca Criswell was, yeah. was part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. So one, and, I would say one <laughs> and a half. Delivered That's awesome. So again, you're hearing from somebody who. You're on the extreme. Wants to do everything possible mm-hmm. to avoid medical interventions. Yep. Primarily from just kind of a philosophical perspective, mm-hmm. right? I believe that the body was created to be healthy. I created, I believe that the body was created to be very intelligent and know how to heal things far better than any type of doctor, whether that's a chiropractor or a naturopath or a medical doctor. Um, we just have to remove interferences from its ability to, to do that. When you intervene, and is it necessary sometimes? Absolutely, right? And thank God for it when right. that's the case. But we want to try to avoid interventions as much as possible because most interventions are working against the body's ability to to heal and function on its own. Mm -hmm. And if the body knows how to go from a sperm and an egg, come together. To a person. To a person. Fully functioning with all the organs and cells and tissues that it has. Fully functioning. um, Getting to homeostasis. Trying to remain at homeostasis at all times. And to me, that intelligence that's there is far greater than anything that's ever come out of a textbook or research or somebody's mind, mm-hmm. right? So I want to trust in that more so than what are we what in chiropractic we call educated intelligence. So regardless of how smart we've become, regardless of how much we've learned about what intervention works here or there, we always want to try to rely on the intelligence of the body to, yeah. to allow things to happen. And that's the woman's body yes. to be able to deliver a child. Mm-hmm. And that's the baby's body to even be able to fight off things, right. you know, like a bacteria, virus, whatever it is, yeah. even when they're outside mm-hmm. uh, of the womb. Right, right. So what's happened, and this is going to get to the, the questions I think you'll ask, mm-hmm. is for thousands of years, women have been having babies like I just kind of explained, yes. right? The mom delivers the child and there was no doctor, right? But in the last, I don't know, a couple hundred years or whatever, it's kind of been medicalized, maybe you would say, where now it's treated almost like a condition, like a woman has some sort of condition. So we better get her in the environment where people who have conditions are put so that we have treated for those. Yeah. So that we have access to everything that we need in case something goes wrong, regardless Mm -hmm. of how rare it might be that, that something goes wrong or 
how many problems that could cause if we intervene when whatever we think went wrong went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to have access to it. We want to make sure that, you know, we can kind of be the saviors at that particular point mm-hmm. instead of allowing the things to just happen naturally right. the way that they were designed to happen. So mm-hmm. that was about half of the time that we have. <laughs> <That's okay>. But <laughs> no problem. I think that's important to yeah, set no, up everything. Yeah, no, I think that's that a I really good background um, and necessary probably. So, yeah, everyone kind of needs to take these answers and make their own decisions just like what you were saying people told you to do and I also think it's important to say that if you already have kids and you've already been through pregnancy and the newborn stage and gone to the pediatrician and all the things and you have not done exactly what we might recommend or what you know your thoughts might be it's totally okay we don't want anyone to feel bad about that right about taking you know because really like that's just how our culture has it's like you, most people don't even question the the typical, you know, right. you go to the OBGYN and then you go to the pediatrician yep. and you do this and this and this. And that's what, if you Google any of this, the first 10 things are going to support what the quote unquote they want you to do, right. you know? So yep. no yep. one, we don't want anyone to feel guilty or bad or anything um, based on what we say. But all right. So. First question I want to ask is during pregnancy, I believe they recommend the flu shot. They, right? They recommend the flu shot and the Tdap vaccine, which is for whooping cough. Um, what would you say about that? Yeah. So, um, again, just to remind you what I just said, I am, I think I'm okay. I know people get, you know, Maybe I shouldn't say. <laughs> There's the whole, pr- everything's kind of um, framed as pro or anti. Like, sure. Are you fully um, on one Fully, side. you know, pro vaccine mm-hmm. or anti vaccine, or are you just um, pro choice, I guess, maybe is the third. Um, for myself, for myself and for any of my kids, I'm okay with saying I'm anti vaccine. Mm-hmm. So if you were to ask me this question saying, Hey, would Emily ever get a flu shot or the Tdap? I would say 1000% no way. Mm-hmm. But I would say pro choice for what I would recommend to, to other people. Right. Because again, if I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, if my job is to try to help people educate people on what I believe he- equals health and how to get there. Um, it's, I don't think it's my role to make a decision for them, mm-hmm. right? So similar to the responsibility thing I was talking about with people suggested to me. Um, so if you are pregnant or if you're going to be pregnant, I would say absolutely you need to do your own research and, and figure out if you are, um, if this is the right thing for you. Th- so the thing that I would say don't do is just take the suggestion from whatever your healthcare provider is, Yeah. right? Um, Without researching it yeah. talking to yeah. people and what i mean by that is so if you are if you are using a midwife then mm-hmm. you know talk to your midwife if you are using an, an ob then talk to your ob but don't s- let them make your your decision right mm-hmm. do your do your own research so i would actually refer you to um a couple of books and i i have a ton of resources again that i've read but i think the two best or at least when i and what's kind of figuring into this best um, um suggestion is these people aren't super extreme 
um, and they're super informative. So two books that I've recommended people in the past is the first one's from Dr. Mayor Eisenstein, who he's passed away now, but um, it's called Make an Informed Vaccine Decision. I think just reading through that, he, he goes through and, and really just talks about, and this is primarily for children, but talks about what's the benefits, what's the perceived benefits, and then what's actually the benefits, what does the data show, and then what are the what are the perceived risks, meaning what do they not tell you? And then what are actually are the risks of not only the vaccine, but also of actually contracting the, the disease, whatever the vaccine's for. Yeah. Um, so just super informative. And then this one is by Dr. Paul Thomas, who's a pediatrician, um, I think in California. This is called the Vaccine Friendly Plant. So he would, is, is still going to recommend vaccines for kids, um, but he calls it the vaccine-friendly plan, meaning he spreads them out. He doesn't do it like the CDC would, would recommend. And he backs up why he, he does it that way. And he's, again, been vilified, and everybody thinks he's a devil for doing this. I say everybody. The people that don't like him think he's a sure. devil for doing this. But all he's doing is slowing it down because yep. he's being a doctor. This is what I believe is best for my patient, mm -hmm. um, and I'm making these recommendations. But I would, on those two questions, he's got a great section in this book, the vaccine-friendly plan, about should pregnant women get vaccine vaccinated? Mm -hmm. And he talks specifically about the flu shot and the, the Tdap. Um, so based off of my own kind of experience with vaccinations um, and my, when I say experience, research and stuff that I've done and what he says, I would say no way mm -hmm. should, you, should you do that um, because the purpose of it is you, of course, don't want the flu when you're pregnant, right? You don't want yeah. the whoop. You don't want whooping cough when you're pregnant. But... Does the research show that if you get a flu shot, that automatically means you're not going to get the flu? No, it doesn't show that. If you look at some of the most recent re research on flu shots, even if you take their definition of effective, it's anywhere from 10 to 20% of what the, the last few years of flu shots have been effective. Um, so it's not even... It's not even like it's 80%, That's right? Wild. Even if it was 80%, it still wouldn't guarantee that you would not get the flu, but it's only about 10 to 20% effective. Meaning if they don't get the particular flu that's infecting people in our area mm -hmm. right in the flu shot, then it's not going to be, it's not going to be very effective for wow. a woman. On the other side of that, if you do everything that we've talked about in our series, your immune system is going to be robust far superior far superior yeah. so you don't necessarily even need something additional to help you mm -hmm. fight off mm -hmm. something like the something like the flu and then same thing with the, the tdap but a second problem that he talks about dr thomas talks about with the tdap so with children and this is if you're going to vaccinate your children um they give a different vaccine to the children it's called a dtap mm -hmm. so they give that um as the initial vaccine and then they give a booster with the tdap so they're the the thought behind giving the mom is if they give the mom the Tdap, then it's going to improve the um, response to the vaccination of the Dtap when mm. you get your child vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So again, they're still guessing at what is going to improve the immune system of your child. Um, from my perspective, there's a lot better ways of dealing with the immune system of your child um, than trying to figure out, hey, should we vaccinate the mom and then should we vaccinate the child and then give the child a booster, those type of things. So, yeah. But again, that's my perspective. I would say do your own research and a good re resource on that would be Dr. Thomas. And he, does, he actually does a lot of YouTube videos and stuff too. Oh, so that's helpful. You could get if the book, but yeah. he also has a YouTube channel that's great. If you're already a busy mom, videos might be the way to go. Right. <laughs> um, okay, that's super helpful. And I was going to ask also about for new baby 
they like to give the hepatitis B vaccine at the hospital before you're discharged. But I think you answered that pretty well. Already. Uh, Unless you would like to go more crazy. forward with <laughs> <laughs> hepatitis B vaccine. Oh man. Again, do your own research, make your own choice. But if the, if any of them are the most foolish, that's the most foolish. Mm, okay. The hepatitis, hepatitis V, B is basically inflammation of the liver, um, that can come from a virus. And obviously if you have inflammation of the liver and it turns into cirrhosis then, or it could even cause liver cancer, that's a serious issue. But what research shows is that happens with people who are using like IV, like IV drug users and there's, they're sharing needles yeah. you know, or, um, it's a sexually transmitted disease. So typically found in, um, prostitutes. Sure. So if you aren't using IV drugs and sharing needles, and if you're not sexually active where you could have a sexually transmitted disease, mm -hmm. um, you have zero chance of passing on hepatitis, hepatitis B. So then the, the argument potentially could be that, well, if you give it now, then when there's maybe the, maybe the child's going to be promiscuous later on and but it wanes far sooner than child would yeah, be able to be sexually it's promiscuous. It's not a lifelong. No. Um, that's just, do you need it? Yeah. That's not what's in it in what research shows as far as things like the adjuvants, like, you know, uh, aluminum and, and all the other t potential toxins that are in the vaccine. So mm -hmm. there's just, if there's any risk at all, there's no reward for it. So Yeah. Okay. That's doesn't, helpful. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Wow. Okay. Um, kind of on that s a similar note to that, the um, eye ointment that they like to give to newborns right mm -hmm. after they're born, that's also to guard against sexually transmitted diseases getting passed on and potentially causing them to go blind, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, back up. So uh, yeah. let's say you think I'm crazy and you're going to vaccinate your child, which again, I'm not, I'm not a... Uh, I'm not condemning you with my words right. if you're doing that. <laughs> but you can always wait. So they try to do that in the hospital if you're going to have a hospital birth. Mm -hmm. You could always say, hey, I'm not sure yet. I want to wait till I talk to my pediatrician about this vaccine. Mm -hmm. At least do that. Yeah. Because uh, then you could, if you, if you haven't had time to do your own research before, then you can have time to even talk to a pediatrician, ask them about it, mm -hmm. and then get just get as many, you know, perspectives as possible on yeah. this sort of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's no harm in waiting. No. Nope, okay. nope. So yeah, the uh, the eye ointment, mm -hmm. which is an antibiotic eye ointment, mm -hmm. and they used to do um, silver nitrate, I believe, for the longest time, but then they actually realized that it was harming babies and potentially leading to more infections down the road when they did that. Um, so they that went out of practice, but then they moved to, an, I think it's erythromycin um, antibiotic eye um, ointment. Um, I think potentially before we knew so much about good bacteria, um, there probably wasn't a high risk. Um, so it was just, hey, if there's potential for um, a bacteria getting in the eye from a sexually transmitted disease that's passed on to baby, then why not? Mm -hmm. um, I would still make the argument, why? Yeah. You say, why not? I would say, why? Sure, yeah. Um, it's very unlikely that this has happened. Um, but now that we know so much more about probiotics and the importance of just good bacteria, not only just in your gut system, but throughout your entire body, on your body, you want to try to avoid anything antibacterial, antibiotic-wise as much as possible. So just doing something 
because it's standard, you know, standard of care that potentially has no benefit. It's definitely has a harm mm-hmm. to it. So that's when I would say no to, to that sort of thing. Okay. If there's no reward, there's definitely a risk. Why? Yeah. Why would you do it? Right. Okay. Um, and then <laughs> I'm kind of jumping around my list here, but during labor, you made me think of, because this is an antibiotic type question, um, and this is one that I was not sure what I was, what I would do if I was positive, but there's something called group B strep and mm-hmm. 25% of women are carriers about, and it's nothing that really affects you or that you can, it's just a bacteria that can pass on to babies. And so, um, it can pass to the baby during birth and it really only gets, questionable if um, the sac ruptures and there's a long time between when the sac ruptures and the baby is born because there's chance of them like respirating on the fluid and then they could get this group B um, bacteria in their body and then of those I think it's like one percent maybe gets this like terrible infection from the group B strep. Mm -hmm. So if you do test positive, they like to just automatically give you antibiotics during labor to prevent this potential. Yeah. Um, So back to kind of our discussion about interventions, Um, the best way to avoid interventions is to, either not being an environment where those interventions are possible or not get any sort of testing done to where, oh, if this is positive, then we do this. Again, kind of standard of care thing. So unless you're, unless you're in a position where now the risk of something has increased, then my recommendation, or at least again, what we've done is we have not even had any testing done. Mm, mm-hmm. And I would say, in, in our personal experience, at least for a couple of pregnancies, we didn't even have all of the stuff done. Like, I'm trying to remember what child I was with. I think it might have been with Graham. We didn't even start prenatal visits until like eight months into her pregnancy. Whoa. Again, why? Because she was a there healthy was person. No she was doing everything purpose. that I... Right. So, and maybe we could have missed some things, right? But... She's Grandma's totally here, fine. Right? She's fine. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say because Grandma's fine and because she was fine, therefore you should do the same thing. Right. I'm just saying it's it's just some evidence that says sometimes when we test and test and test and we're looking for stuff over and over and over again, especially if we're expecting it to be there, mm-hmm. and sometimes we find things that didn't ever need to be to be addressed. Mm-hmm. You know. And so you mentioned that only some women um, have this group B strep and they're going to test positive. But even if they test positive, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's some type of infection. It just means that now that bacteria is found in in this woman. So does that mean that there's going to be a problem? No, it's only if, like you you Mm -hmm. mentioned, the things that needed to happen for Mm -hmm. there not to be a risk. So some I think ho- even hospitals have switched over to they don't even test unless these you know risks have increased, and then now we'll test, and then even then we'll weigh should we give antibiotics or should we not. Mm-hmm. But let's say you did test um, that it's there, then I would say instead of trying to get rid of the bacteria with antibiotics, trying to kind of overcome it with either a bunch of probiotics 
or a more natural form of an antibi- antimicrobial, mm-hmm. you know, things like garlic, things like coconut oil, those type of things can be, can be helpful yeah. there to, to, instead of, you know, going at it with a harsh antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. good. That's helpful. Um, all right. Le- we are there on the time. Our <laughs> They're still listening. <laughs> well, okay. Um, of my list, I think the one that I do want to talk about is probably an epidural. Okay. And I think because it is so in our culture, it's just kind of assumed almost that most people are going to get it. Um, I When I was reading a little bit about this, I didn't even actually realize, well, I just had never really thought about what it actually is. They're, they're inserting a catheter into your back that allows constant like repetitive um, injection of pain medicine Mm -hmm. and the medicine can be different so it depends on the hospital and the anesthesiologist what different numbing agents they use they can use things local anesthetics like lidocaine or they can use like narcotic drugs like morphine or fentanyl um or like some mixture of that and so that is probably one thing to note is maybe just if you do plan on getting one knowing what is going into it and it's constantly it's administered you know however often it can be controlled by the woman or it can be controlled by the hospital staff but it gets re-injected to like keep the numb sensation going. Right. Um, I personally did. So my story was planned a home birth with Lily and then we ended up laboring at home for a very, very long time. Was not making progress, needed some sort of help. And so we did transfer to the hospital to get an epidural, which was really hard, but I am grateful now for it because I realize this was one of those instances where it was probably medically necessary. If I hadn't done that, I think that my body w- might have gone into such exhaustion that I might mm-hmm. have needed like an emergency C-section, like I might not have been able to push her out. So having the epidural in my case allowed me to still birth her vaginally. And so I'm really grateful that this exists, but I also going into my second birth want to just remember like yeah it was nice to numb the pain but also there are definitely a handful of reasons why and I experienced some of these why you would not want to get this and yeah so what are your thoughts yeah so uh, when you talked about the whole cascade of interventions I would say that that's kind of the primary one that at least comes to mind for me of leading to more interventions so when you so obviously you're trying to push this baby out, right? This baby needs to come from inside you to outside of you, and that just requires physical exertion, requires musculature, requires your nervous system, all of those things. So the epidural is, of course, trying to trick your brain into thinking nothing's happening, like you can't shutting down pain signals, you know? So, but what else could, could happen there is you could also lose the function, right? You could lose the ability to be able to push the way that you're supposed to push. And, right. Um, so then if the things like that happen, then now you're, you've kind of gone down that slope of other interventions, whether that's, you know, it's something like an episiotomy, mm-hmm. if, if you're getting close, mm-hmm. um, vacuum extraction, 
um, forceps extraction, which being a chiropractor, those are like some of the worst words you can hear. Um, again, if you think about it, like when your baby is born, you know, they're seven, nine pounds or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you were to just lay them on the floor and grab them by their head and kind of drag them across the floor, I don't think anybody would do that. Right. Um, so, but to get them out of the womb, that's kind of what has to happen to grab a hold of the head and they're, you know, I think it, I think it's 70, 80 pounds of pressure oh my goodness. is put on the, the, the child's body um, to get the, the child out. So ideally that baby would be pushed out instead of pulled out, right? Yeah. Um, so th- those type of things can just happen. And then of course, C-section would be the, the last mm-hmm. one that would happen if, if it's not. So again, is there emergency times where it's absolutely necessary um, to use? I would say yes, but that's not typically typically unfortunately now when it is mm-hmm. when it is used yep. it's not used as kind of like an emergency situation it's just either unfortunately because normal labors can take a long time right and again if you're in a hospital doctors have schedules hospitals have schedules hospitals have beds and stuff that they need to be you know and you have somebody use a bed and then they get somebody else in there to use a bed so just the whole system in general it's a um, business yeah i mean it's a business and it, and it's it's just not set up for hey let's let's let you take some time and labor have this baby. for 40 hours <laughs> yeah something <laughs> like that so it, it's any time um the, all that stuff at least is figured into the decision making process of sh- is this the time to do something like in an epidural. Um, I remember when with our first with Tatum, um, we were still in college and Emily's roommates, one of their moms came and um, when she found out Emily was going to have a baby, she was like, one of the first things she said is she's like, oh, just get that epidural. Yes. So it's like almost, you know it going into labor yeah. that you're going to have the epidural. Yeah. I think that's super um, common. Yeah. So yeah, I would say I would caution against that because there's always risks. Um, and if you've been listening to the past episodes, we've even talked about like just mom having stress during pregnancy can lead to social problems for their child up until preschool age. Mm-hmm. Right. So who knows what something like an epidural, even though if the research that they've done on it, maybe right now in that acute situation during labor and delivery, there's not a high risk. But you just don't we just don't know any sort of risk that that might lead to, you know, down the road. So. Mm-hmm. Back to the whole, just principle, try to avoid interventions as much as possible mm-hmm. um, is always a good thing to, to kind of stick to. And I would say the same thing about an epidural. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah one of the things that happened with us is just um, because any medication that you get is able to cross through the placenta and reach the baby, it can affect the baby. And so Lily was very lethargic. And so therefore she had a really hard time the first two days probably of breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a really important time to establish the latch. And it was just really, really extra stressful to go through that because we couldn't get her to stay awake long enough to get any in her. And, you know, we're trying to like syringe, like manually pump some colostrum, which is really, really hard. And then syringe feed drops into her mouth so that she's getting something. And it just None of that would have happened, of course, probably right. if we did not have to get the epidural. So right. just things like that. And there's some other things. but Yeah. So, I mean, that brings up, a, a, I think, an important point, And we referenced this last time, or at least from one of the shows. But having a plan and, and being very specific about. So if you thought about the ideal experience for your labor and delivery, 
and then even after post delivery. Um, I would say writing that down, making sure you know it, making sure your doula knows it if you have a doula, making yeah. sure your husband knows it so that if there is an intervention like an epidural that you still know, okay, we didn't want that right now, but it happened. So let's not forget about everything else that we wanted to happen. Because if you make that one thing happen, then now basically nurses, doctors, yes. hospital staff, now they kind of take over and, and then you could forget about the skin on skin right. stuff. You could forget about, you know, they might clamp the cord right away, which we didn't get into to all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they might do all of the, you know, the, getting the APGAR score and, or they might even take baby away and put them in some other sort of unit. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff has ever been shown, regardless of the, the risk, none of that, I mean, unless it's you know, super high risk, has ever been shown to be better than getting baby with mom yeah. unwashed, mm -hmm. you know, not cord hasn't been cut all of those things get baby with mom right away skin on skin yes for so many different positive reasons yeah and if you don't kind of have that plan in place it could just be easily forgotten about because you're exhausted from it and nobody really knows knew that you wanted it yeah and because that one intervention happened now they're kind of on they're they're ready to do more you're stuff. their patient essentially you've yeah. become yeah right. kind of this yep right. mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's really good all right this is officially the longest podcast we've ever done sorry guys um if you want to hear us talk about more of this stuff let us know clearly we have a lot to say <laughs> um but please share this with anyone who is pregnant who might find it helpful and we will talk to you next time